This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we have Levi Binkert on. He does industrial value-add projects right here in the heart of Texas, and he's going to tell us how much he loves industrial and why he thinks Texas is the best place to do it. Hey, Levi, how are you? Good. How are you doing? Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you, and great to have you on here. I know we met off Twitter so I didn't really know a ton about you. I just saw that you're interested in real estate in Texas and you're in the Austin area. So I said, hey, he's got some interesting stuff to say. He That's needs great. to come on the podcast. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So starting off strong here, first question, what is your favorite restaurant in Austin? That's a great question. Uh, my wife and I recently discovered Dip, Dip, Dip. Have you been there? I have not, no. So it, it's the uh, the guys that have done the ramen tatsuya. You know, it's got oh, several other that. different places. This is their kind of upscale. I, I mean, it's not cheap, but my goodness, is it an experience. The food is amazing. It's like a two and a half or three hour long thing. Yeah. And it just like they take you through this whole experience. And it's it's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I'm going to have to check that out. We love ramen Tatsuya. Yeah, it's a good spot. Yeah. Awesome. So for our guests, you know, I know I know a little bit about you just from following you on Twitter. But could you tell everybody who you are and how you're involved in real estate investing? Yeah, so I run a company called Harbor Capital. We invest in Class B industrial in really just a couple of different markets in Texas, so Houston, San Antonio, and Austin. Uh, we've looked at, at Dallas a few times, but the the numbers just don't make sense as, as well as these other cities do. And so we are, I always like to joke, we're a, a, an inch wide and a mile deep in one topic here that we know really, really well, which the further I get into it, the more I, I feel like I'm learning and realizing what an opportunity exists here. And the more we know in this market, the better it, you know we're able to identify deals when they come up and just know this, you know, this one will work and this is why. Uh, we've just, you know, as an example, recently bought a building in Houston that's a cold storage facility, uh, had a tenant in the in the space that that's got about two years remaining, but their lease is substantially below market. And so we paid high single digits, eight or $9 million for the building and are, are in the process of, you know, we bought it a couple of months ago, the tenant's still there. And we're in the process of already starting to talk to new tenants with these cold storage buildings. It's this kind of long cycle. Like it takes them a really long time to, to lease and they're looking years out. Mm. And we're talking to a couple of tenants that, uh, at the lease rates that we're discussing with them, we can very easily double the value of the building just by, you know, negotiating with a new tenant, putting them in there. And we certainly will spend some money on tenant improvements to make it ready for them. But, you know, this was one that, that, you know, first of all, it was off market. We knew, we knew a broker who was contacted by the seller and we knew the area and knew the property. And, you know, there's opportunities like that that exist. Yeah, that's great. So for people listening, you know, I know, I know a little bit about how commercial real estate's valued NOI cap rates, but could you explain how you're going to be able to double the value of the building just by putting a new tenant in it? Yeah, I, I, partly because 
it was so far under leased. The mm-hmm. the lease rate that the prior tenant was paying was substantially, substantially below market. Mm-hmm. And so it gave us an opportunity to go in and say, hey, you know, the seller may or may not have known that they under leased the building. Uh, and we're able to go in and say, hey, actually, we know what this is worth. We know where the, the key areas to spend money are, you know, paint do the make the office look better you know in a cold storage facility you put new equipment in and update that but if you kind of know the key areas to spend money and know that you're buying well then yeah uh, you know that that's obviously a, an extreme example if we could double our money on on everything would be in <laughs> sure in two <laughs> years this anymore yeah <laughs> yeah two years later you've doubled your money that's pretty amazing Definitely. so you're going in you're in you're essentially doubling the income is what you, what it sounds like, or is it? Yeah, it's more that. So it's leased right now for six dollars a foot, and the tenants that we're talking to are at fifteen. So it's oh, a good wow. bit more than double. So, yeah, that's amazing. Is this a situation where I know a lot of people will buy at what looks like a lower cap rate, but they can see that hey, there is something like that where the the NOI or the income is so much lower than it needs to be, and we can easily get it up. Did you buy at what felt like a lower than market cap rate? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't extremely low. It was, you know, it was above what our interest rate is on the loan. So mm-hmm. uh, in that case, you know, and we got a fixed rate mortgage oh. long-term debt in there. So I feel very comfortable that, you know, even if that tenant for some reason couldn't leave and the market crashed and, you know, we're still in a very safe position. We also, I mean, I lived through 2008. I know how bad things can get. And so I kind of have this wiring where I think that, the next big crash is always around the corner. And so we're extremely conservative with debt. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't actually care so much about loan to value as much as debt service coverage ratio. I want sure. the income from the rent and, you know, even, even if it was below market rents to be far more than my interest in principal payments every month. What do you look for for a debt service coverage ratio? Because I know the banks so 1.25, 1.3. Yeah, I, we've got several buildings that are at a two, you oh, know, wow. 1.5 is where I start to get comfortable. Um, and we just do that by doing very little debt, you know, and we just mm-hmm. lots of equity, supersized reserve funds, just in case things go wrong. You know, we're basically planning on planning for the worst. Yeah, that's a good way to stay in the game, though. Yeah, that's right. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, if you can, if you can own through a down market on the other side and pick up some, you know, choice assets while things are on sale. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's how you win long-term. Absolutely. So and I'm interested in why industrial, what got you started in industrial and why is that the only asset class you want to focus on? So I've done multifamily and single family development for years, uh, sold a business that I had built good size business. It was a, a, international developer of apartment buildings sold that business in 2019 end of 2019 early 2020 took a little bit of time off to try to figure out what to do next to you know good size sale felt like it was a time to kind of reconsider and it was clear i definitely still wanted to do real estate and looked at all the things i'd invested in and kind of different markets and realized this was one that was very much kind of didn't have as much traction or or didn't have as much 
attention as it deserved. There's not that many investors looking at industrial, which meant that there was much more opportunity for mispriced assets or you know inefficiency. I want to be in an inefficient market. I want to knock on a seller's door, an owner's door, and make an offer to them and have them have no idea if that's a good offer or a bad offer because it's, you know, it's just not a readily marketable price. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the opposite end of that is a stock, right? If I offer you, you know, whatever whatever the the price might be for the day, if I offer you $100 for Disney stock and it's trading at 85, you know that I'm offering you $15 more than it's yeah. than it's worth on that day. In real estate, you know, Multifamily, it's a lot easier to know because there's so many more transactions happening. You have brokers knocking on your door all the time. You know, there's just a lot more interest. And kind of as you get into further and further more obscure markets, the less easy it is for someone to know kind of what the intrinsic value of an asset is. And so therefore, you actually get rewarded for being more of a specialist in those Mm -hmm. markets. Yeah. No, I think you said it before we started or right when we started an inch wide and a mile deep. Yep. Um, that's focus is my theme for the year. Just really stay and focused on what I'm doing. And in real estate, you know, there's so many other things going on. So you, you mentioned knocking on an owner's door and I, I, you might've said that figuratively, but are you buying a lot of these from business owners? So like, Hey, business owner owns XYZ business that's in this industrial complex and we're buying the building from them. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we just bought one last week. That's very common transaction. It's a, a business owner that's outgrowing the space mm-hmm. and they are building another building but didn't have enough capital on hand to actually fund the construction loan. And so they sold their current building to us on a sale leaseback structure, which allows Mm -hmm. them to stay in that building for a year while they construct their next facility. That gives us the opportunity during that year to do some improvements to the site uh, and go out and market it and find a new tenant uh, for that space. So that when they leave, we basically, I mean, the ideal is, is you have no overlap. Yeah. That's awesome. So I would assume that's why a lot of business owners don't own their own building too, right? So they can move more easily. Yeah, certainly. And it it used to be that with interest rates as low as they were, many business owners kind of did the math and realized, hey, I should own my own building. As interest rates go up, less and less of those businesses are deciding to to buy or build something themselves and are now just deciding renting is the best solution for them. And so that has put an increase in demand for for the type of, you know, investor like I've got, the type of inventory like I've got from businesses that are still growing in Texas the economy's, you know, yeah. despite it certainly isn't exactly like it was in 2020. It never should have been. That was just a cheap debt binge that we shouldn't have been on. But now that that's over, Texas is still doing good overall. And those business owners are still needing space. Well, they're coming to, you know, us and other owners like us and looking to rent now. Did you see, speaking of Texas still growing like crazy, that Tesla is going to do another $700 million build out on their Giga Texas area? I saw that. That's incredible, huh? That's nuts. They did a billion to start. This is almost three quarters of what they did in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And and people think that we're going into 
what might be bad times that yeah we keep seeing stuff like this where we we seem to be insulated from it here in texas yeah definitely definitely Great place to be yeah um <clears throat> Levi, I know nothing about industrial real estate, and I I don't know that a lot of our listeners are aficionados in industrial real estate. Could you talk about the types of projects that you purchase and the type the cap rates that they're working at? Yeah, so um, you know we, you we said typically cold do storage. Cold storage. We we only have one cold storage asset. It's certainly a very interesting uh, market, but most of what we own are just you know big warehouses or manufacturing spaces that a company could go into. And we do both single and multi tenant facilities. Mm. Um, from a cap rate perspective, you know we typically go buy uh, properties that are you know have some sort of value add component, either they're vacant or they're going to be vacant soon, or maybe they've got a tenant in there, but the tenant's paying below market rate. And we're just, you know, basically time arbitrage. We're just waiting until that lease ends mm -hmm. and then leasing it at market. We try not to, to do, you know, massive remodel projects. We won't buy a, you know, 1940s building and go retrofit it or something like that. We, we, we'd like to, you know, the, the, the easiest place to add value is on the purchase price. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you yeah. look far enough, then you're able to find properties that are kind of under, you know, being sold to you for less than what they're worth. So cap rate probably doesn't matter as much for you because you you found something that you're going to make the income go up so much more after you buy it. You might not yeah, necessarily I mean, it, be looking at cap rate. I mean, I, you know, I bought a vacant building recently. That's a 0% cap rate. Zero cap. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I know that that building, you know, uh, once leased will stabilize at a 12 cap oh, in, wow. a mar in a market that trades at, you know, six and a half or seven right now w was trading in the fives not too long ago, but now is six or half, six and a half or seven. Okay. And so, yeah. you know, there's still a decent spread there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So, so you're in Austin right now. Have you always lived in Austin? Nope, been here since 2015. Okay. Yep. And you got how did you get your start in real estate? So you talked about you were in single multifamily here before all of this, but you I mean I 2019 started, uh, moved over. Uh when my wife and I got married in 1999, we bought a house right away. I mean, I think we put four hundred dollars down or something and use one of these like <laughs> FHA plus some like you know special first time home buyer fund. Mm -hmm. And did some work to it, fixed it up, sold it a year and a half later, and made some money and was like, oh man, real estate. And so I've literally, from when I was very young, have first started flipping houses and then started doing land development. And then ultimately, you know, single family and, and multifamily development as well. That's awesome. So yeah. you started out with flipping houses. Yep. And then you got into, you said development right after that? Yeah. It was, so one of the houses that I flipped actually had, uh, it's kind of an interesting story. So it was on five acres. It was at the time it was the most, this was in Northern California where we lived at the time. It was oh. the most expensive house that had ever sold in the city. It was like $850,000. Uh, we went in and bought the house, lived in it and split the land up and sold off parcels of the land. Well, we sold the land for like 880,000. Wow. And then, and then sold the house. We'd only lived in it for a year and a half, sold the house for more than we'd paid for the whole thing to begin oh, with. Wow. <laughs> I think That's I was great. You know, 24 at the time. And it's just like, all right, you know, game on here. We go. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's work. And so we're, 
through that process found out basically how to split lots and uh, you know what kind of value could be added by going and convincing the city to allow you to change zoning on a property and something like that yeah that's hard that's generally pretty hard isn't it yeah i mean it, it was easier in you know 2001 than it is today for sure mm. um although in texas it's still not that bad in california it was really hard sure yeah no we've got it easy here in texas yeah um so you basically just you fell into real estate investing it sounds like it worked out so well and just basically uh, yep no <laughs> yeah okay have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think everybody should do that, too. I think there's no reason that you're not making your living situation an asset, whether you're house hacking a duplex or you're buying a single family and fixing it up, or you're moving out of your single family and keeping it as a rental. There's just so many ways to make money with real estate. You could buy industrial real estate like you are, Levi, but you could also right. just keep it simple and keep your house instead of sell it or remodel your house and make more off of it when you sell it. It's like, true. That's really cool stuff. Um, so it sounds like you've had a really long real estate career. Something I like to ask our guests is if you could share the biggest mistake you've made in real estate investing to maybe help other people not make those same mistakes. <laughs> so uh, maybe so, you might have so a few. I, I do. I, 2008 was absolutely brutal for me. Oh. Uh, I went into so 2006, I bought a home building company brought that team on staff and started building houses on lots that I was developing. Uh, 2007 had 400 lots that I'd gone and done the whole process to, you know, split, split the lots and zoning changes. And many of them had gone all the way to build, you know, curb gutter, sidewalk, mm -hmm. utilities, everything was ready to build. And then built, I think maybe a dozen of the houses were built and started to sell a few. And then the banks, you know, 2008 was brutal, especially in Northern California. Banks mm -hmm. called up and said, we're not lending anymore on, on residential real estate. We're done here. Wow. Um, and so all the construction loans were literally just, you know, called and they said, finish up the few houses that you have under construction. I don't care if they're sold or not. We were still, we were still selling houses. It wasn't, you yeah. Know, we thought we could keep going here and maybe just lower prices as things kept going. Obviously it got, it got even worse than that over time, but um, ended up having to go through the process to, to, you know, renegotiate with lenders and turn over properties. And I mean, it was, it was brutal. Um, I, you know, thus the learning from that for me is to be extremely conservative and just plan for the worst. I mean, I think mm -hmm. the real estate market is incredibly cyclical. And as we see now, it's kind of the tool or it's kind of a, a an innocent bystander, if you will, to, the government's efforts that, you know, more power to them. The Fed has to do this. They have yeah. to keep inflation under control. Mm -hmm. If inflation goes wild, the U.S. dollar becomes just worthless as a, as a global currency. And that's kind of one of the hallmarks of, of you know, <laughs> the kind of the global economy and why the U.S. is has the place that it has in the global economy. Uh, in, inflation has to get under control. And when they raise interest rates, you know, 
real estate values, it's like up in the air. It goes, mm-hmm. it goes wild. And so, yeah, just be extremely careful and ready for that. Like as if it's around the corner any day, cause it just very well might be. Yeah. So low leverage and the right reserves are your, your ways to keep it in control. Yeah. And quality product, quality mm-hmm. real estate in markets yeah. that are growing with that's flexible. I mean, for us, you know, obviously you kind of get narrower and narrow into the niche. There's all kinds of things like fire sprinklers and truck access courts and what kind of street is it on clear Mm -hmm. heights and, you know, how much office space is there and is it a concrete building or a a metal building? I mean, there's all sorts of these things that kind of add up to that term quality that we use to define a piece of real estate that we buy uh, or, you know, define or, or, not, I guess, if, if we did, didn't do our job well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, if you kind of put all that together in any one market, there are certain properties that will stay leased throughout any kind of economic, up, you know, up or downturn. And that's sure. what you want to have. You know, you want to be on the corner of Maine and Maine, whatever that is for your market. Especially with what you're doing. The, those businesses, the, the industrial business or the, the business that's doing a lot of shipping for people that are staying at home or... It needs to go to the grocery store, that kind of stuff. That they always need a place to be, and they can't stop their business. So, you know, yeah. you mentioned office. I, th- I think that's a hot word right now. So, I know a lot of these buildings. I worked in a warehouse when I was in college, and about the front fifth of it was office. Yeah. Do you have a certain amount of office that you're looking to stay away from, or a certain amount of office that you need for most Ten- of your projects? 10% is about right for us okay. most of the time. Okay. Um, it, you know, it, it depends. A big manufacturing facility might not need as much as that, you know, because if you've got a 200,000 square foot warehouse, you don't necessarily need 20,000 square feet of office. So there's certainly some limits there. We're building a couple of different industrial parks in Katy, Texas, just outside of Houston right now. Mm-hmm. And, and those are kind of single unit, detached uh tilt walls so you know concrete wall uh structures and and we're building the offices in and having those are all you know build this not build to suit those are you know build made ready ready to go mm-hmm. spec build and we're doing right around 10 percent office in every one of those okay so just enough space for them to run their business but not enough space for do you find it easier to find tenants when you have the the 10 percent and not a little more than that yeah, certainly. Certainly. Okay. Yeah. If you don't have any office, you know, we've got one right now that we're leasing that has no office, but we're saying we'll put it in later. And that that is tougher to find. You know, you, you need it ready to go. So you'll put it in later, like you'll you'll convert part of the warehouse space to an office for them. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But a small tenant, they don't want to wait for that. They'd rather have something that's, you know, completely ready from yeah. day one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Levi, you've been through, you've been through the great recession. You've been in uh, a bunch of different asset classes. You know, it seems like you're, you're excited about what you're doing now and you're on a great path. If you had to start over, is there anything you'd do differently? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I, I sure wish I would have gotten into industrial a lot sooner mm-hmm. or, or picked a less popular asset class a lot sooner. I don't necessarily think industrial is kind of the one and only. I mean, I think you could do small retail 
you could do gas station. You could, you know, there's all sorts of different specialties that work well uh, for those who are dedicated to becoming, you know, the best of the best and learning that specific market. And so if I had to do, you know, if I had a chance to go back and talk to my younger self, I would, I would say specialize, specialize, specialize. Yeah, no, that's a huge advice. Even for me, I know when I focus, like, you know, I mentioned earlier, if I try to focus and I stay focused over a longer period of time, I make so Mm -hmm. much, so much, so many better results. And it's when I'm all over the place and trying to do a little bit of this or a little bit of that. Yep. You no, know, I know multifamily is super hot for people and has been for years and years. Maybe not so hot the last couple of months, but has been for so long. And finding a good multifamily deal was so hard. Oh, absolutely. For a few years there. And yeah. Well, yeah. now that now that you can find them, where there's not as many buyers, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, more about your business. You you said you're a, a GP with industrial real estate projects. So I assume you all are taking on investors. Jordan Moorhead here. Really quickly, wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. Yeah, so we have about 1,400, uh, just over 1,400 investors that are registered with us, accredited. uh, You know, everyone's got to be accredited to be on our list. Mm -hmm. Um, We send our deals out to increasingly smaller groups of that 1,400 just because we've had a good number of complaints that people don't like that cattle that kind of cattle call where a deal gets sent out and you've got a couple hours to respond or you miss it or, you know, yeah. you don't have time. And so we've started sending it out to, you know, maybe 10% of the list. And we start <laughs> with ex- existing investors first. We say, Hey, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, if you're in a deal already, you get first look and take your time, happy to answer your, you know, answer your questions and dive in deep. I just, you know, as an LP and a bunch of deals myself, I, I, I know, it, it matters if you have the time to look in and be able to ask questions and figure out if this one, you know, is really the right fit for you. And I want investors to be happy that they're in the deal with us and understand it. Yeah, no, I think it really helps that you, you're also a passive investor in other people's deals too. So yeah. rather than just, Hey, I'm out here raising money, you know, Hey, I've actually invested a lot of money with other people and I know how the process works and you can, you could, like you said, you could speak to it a little better there and say, I know I want time to analyze the deal and figure out if it's right for me, but that's cool that you're you're prioritizing your your loyal investors first and giving the opportunity to them and then shooting it out to a broader audience maybe later if it doesn't yeah. get fully funded. For sure. Do you have an idea of where you're going next? You know, seems like you're moving really quickly with this industrial real estate and you guys are doing really well. Do you have a vision for, let's say, the next three to five years for yourself and your company? Yeah, yeah. we bought just over $100 million in 2022 of industrial wow. in Texas, hoping to double that next year. Our goal yeah. is 200. I always say that with a, a very, you know, I hold loosely to that goal because mm-hmm. if we don't find new deals, I'm just as happy buying nothing <laughs> for the sure. year. But from an infrastructure standpoint, we have the team systems processes and capital in place to be able to to take down 200 million of you know of the very specific type of product that we know and love so much and so that's our that's our goal for this year uh, broadly you know kind of long term goals we're we're 
trying to go much bigger by 2025, hoping to have a billion dollars of assets under management, continue to grow the team. I mean, but not huge. I don't want to, you know, hundred person team will we'll stay in this kind of under 20. We've got eight on the team right now. Um, but yeah, there's this kind of sweet spot we're getting to of, you know, maybe $2 million, $2 billion of assets under management over the next 10 years. Okay. Good, good size, good size company for sure. So you said uh, a billion by 2025. Where are you today? You said a hundred million in 2022, but I know you, you didn't just start in 22. 135 million owned now. Okay. Uh, sold some off and have, you know, I've done about 400 million of, of, uh, multifamily and single family development work before this, but you know, this is all just, just industrial, just as Harbor capital here. Okay. So the, the goal for Harbor capital is a billion. Yep. By 2025. That's our, that's kind of first goal. Awesome. So really cool goals you all have for the next couple of years. Um, Levi, I know we talked about a few books before we got on here. Um, yeah. you see, uh, just behind you, there's a whole bookshelf there. So you <laughs> seem to be a lover of reading too. Do you Absolutely. have a favorite business or mindset book that you like to recommend to people? That's a good question. Uh, Essentialism is one that for several years has been my favorite. I think I've read it three or four times now. Really? Uh, that's a that's a fantastic one. Um, Endurance. Have you ever read that one? It's the yeah. Shackleman's adventure that one's intense that's a really good one that's a great book yeah so i try yeah. to read something more entertaining like uh endurance at night so yep. i always have some i'm reading sapiens right now at night i read oh, in the during the day i read more uh more content that's geared yep. towards business or investing and then at night i try to read something but endurance is really cool too for sure. I'm getting ready to launch a, a, a book club. I realize there's a bunch of other people just like me that love to to read and, and want to do this together. So I'm hoping to be able to launch that soon here. That's awesome. So yeah, that yeah. leads me into my next question. What's the best way to, for people to get a hold of you or just to follow you? Um, I, I spend most of my online time on Twitter and yep. at Levi James here is my handle on there. I talk about industrial real estate and all kinds of real estate stuff on there. So that's, that's certainly my spot. Real that's estate kind of, Twitter I, is just blowing up. It is. It's a whole, it's a whole thing now. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. I've kind of given up on LinkedIn and other, other ones. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Twitter's the spot now. So do you have a website maybe where people can reach out and learn about your company? Yeah. Harbor cap com h-a-r-b-o-r-c-a-p.com all, all right. kinds of stuff on there about our projects and what we do so and they can get on your investor list there too yep yep yeah there's a questionnaire on there we try to make sure we're following the sec guidelines so just yep. ask ask people to verify and everything they're accredited and, yeah awesome yep. so it remind me again your twitter handle there it's at levi james here at Levi James here. Yep. And then if you're on Twitter, I'm at Jordan underscore Moorhead. Jordan underscore Moorhead everywhere. Instagram, I think Facebook, probably the same thing. But absolutely follow Levi at Levi James here on Twitter. Go to harborcap.com. And of course, if you want to follow me on Twitter too, at Jordan underscore go. Moorhead. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Levi, thank you so much for coming on here today. 
really yeah. excited to hear your story. I know our listeners are going to be too. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate it. This has been fun. Yeah. Talk to you soon. All right. See you.